The Raven is released weekly and brought to you absolutely free. But if you want ad-free listening and early access to next week's episode, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus. For more information, check out tenderfootplus.com. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to The Raven, a production of Tenderfoot TV in association with Odyssey. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the podcast. This podcast also contains subject matter, which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. An argument about nothing. Seconds later in the street by a tree. A body. Nobody saw a knife. It was a punch blade hidden between the killer's fingers. This might sound like Atlanta in 2000 after the Super Bowl, but this was Los Angeles in 2001. Tonight, a Dateline special. Good evening. As a parent, what do you fear most? Your teenager experimenting with drugs, the dangers of drinking and driving? A teenage house party is probably not at the top of your list. A year after the murders of Richard Lawler and Jason Baker, I left a party with my friend, Deanna Moran. As we were leaving, Deanna got into an argument with another girl. And while all the teenagers we spoke with claimed they never saw a weapon, according to the coroner's report, Katrina killed Deanna by stabbing her in the heart. Reports say it was most likely with a punch knife. I was there for Deanna's final seconds on Earth. When she was confronted, I didn't get involved. And that decision has haunted me my entire life. Her murder was eerily similar to the altercation in Atlanta. Stabbed in the street, underneath a tree, by a punch blade after a night of partying. And as a witness to her death, I share a cryptic connection with Ray Lewis. Lewis claimed that he too was a witness. The linebacker testified that he watched the fight in Atlanta unfold from his limo. Several witnesses disagreed and insisted that Lewis was brawling in the fracas that took Lawler and Baker's lives. Lewis's role in the fight is an important piece of the story, but having been in similar shoes, the only thing that matters to me if Lewis was involved is his intent. Was he trying to break the fight up, play peacekeeper? Was one of the strongest, fiercest warriors on the planet simply trying to protect his friends? Or, was he trying to hurt people? From Tenderfoot TV, I'm Tim Livingston, and this is The Raven. Episode 2, I See the Chain. And I got my camera crew and my reporter. Shoes off. It's all love. Yes, take y'all shoes off. It's all family. We all good. What's up, Jeff? Tim. Tim, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, man. We take off our shoes at the back door, and Chino Nino guides us into his kitchen. 
Handsome's wife and her friend strike up a conversation at the breakfast table. Handsome and Chino sit next to them. I lean on a refrigerator across from Handsome. I level with photographs and cards from happy families, close friends announcing births and graduations. At this moment, I realize we're not in the house of Chino Nino, the up-and-coming rapper in the middle of the Super Bowl murders. We're in the house of a middle-aged dad, Jeff Gwen. Jeff pours himself and hands him a shot of cognac and begins to tell me about that night in Atlanta. You know, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, like, I don't really talk about it because, like, this is like my brother and, like, we all grew up together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we just all was, we all was out. I was the hottest thing out of motherfucking Ohio at that time, flat out. My CD came out late 98, so 99, 2000, we on foot. We was promoting that from coast to coast. We were just down there, a bunch of young black men. We trying to push this label, man. That's all we trying to do, push this music. So, that night, we had the club or whatever. We party, we have a good night, so we leaving the club. Now, when we leaving the club, me and my homie Chris, we walk out, we outside, we talk to each other. Chris Shinholster was a member of the Akron group and a close friend of Jeff's. How many people are outside? Because everybody left the club, right? So. Yeah, so everybody leaving the club. There's people everywhere, right? Like, there's limos out there, cars. It's an epic night. Great Super Bowl, great party, everybody outside. Me and Chris talking, we talking to some girls, you know. So, out of nowhere, dudes say something like, uh, like what would you say? Oakley? Yeah. But yeah, it had to be him. He was fucked up. Who? Oakley. Reginald Oakley and Joseph Sweeting were the two men who, along with Ray Lewis, were ultimately charged with murder. Lewis had known Sweeting for years. They became close in Miami, where Lewis went to college. Oakley, who has self-published three books on the killings, wrote in Murder After Super Bowl 34 that he met Lewis about two years before the murders in Baltimore. He like drunk, he like, what, what? Chris like, man, he's talking to you? I'm like, who? I don't know him. Chris like, oh yeah, I don't know who he's talking to. So he just wanted to fight. He just wanted to do something. Period. Yeah, so. And again, we're talking about Oakley, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you could just see he was just on some bullshit. So he say something, right? And then his homie grabbing pushing back. He's like, man, my dude tripping. So at this time, I see the chain. So I'm like, oh, okay. Ray Lewis dressed to impress on Super Bowl night. He sported a massive diamond-studded chain, a six-figure watch, and a mink coat that went down to his ankles. Lewis wrote in his memoir, I was dressed out, had my jewelry on, my fine mink coat. I wasn't about to start mixing it up, looking like that. Okay. I don't even know who this motherfucker is. All I remember is the chain dude had on the diamond chain with the locket and it was iced out. You know, back then everything wasn't iced, iced out. out. Jeff says that Lewis was attempting to defuse the situation and hold back a belligerent Oakley, which Lewis echoed in his testimony. Lewis told the jury that Oakley was, quote, the aggressor and, quote, really hostile towards the other two guys. 
The jury ultimately ruled that Oakley and Sweeting acted in self-defense. So, you know, he grabbed him and shit, so he like, oh man, you gotta excuse my dude, he's drunk. I'm like, oh yeah, he cool. So at the other time, his other dude come up, some dark skins around, I don't know who he is. Like, I've never ever seen him after that. Some dark skin dude come up like, uh, oh man, we, I'm just checking on my homie. I'm like, all right, so now I'm looking, right? This nigga got a knife in his hand. Jeff is positive that the knife-wielding man wasn't Oakley or Sweeting. So who was it? Kwame King, a high school football teammate of Lewis's, Carlos Stafford, an acquaintance, and two other men, known only as Gino and Claudius, were allegedly involved in the fight from Lewis's side. Prosecutors believe that Oakley and Sweeting were the killers and used George's party to a crime law to charge Lewis with murder. And this is why Lewis felt unjustly targeted Four other men besides Lewis were involved in the fight. One of them, according to Jeff, had a knife. How is Lewis the only one deemed party to the crime? Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all of that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The nigga that walked up. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm like, hold on. So now I'm peeping the scene. I'm like, hold on. He got a knife in his hand. So he was just holding it. If he up. cool, why you got a knife? How was he holding it? Was he just, he just had it? No, he just had it in his hand. He like, well, I'm just trying to make sure my homie's straight. Jeff demonstrates how the mystery man with a knife held his weapon shortly before the fight. Was he in protection mode or was he in like... He, he was ready if anything popped off. And it definitely wasn't Oakley and it definitely wasn't Sweetie. Mm -mm. I'm like, man, if everything cool, why your dude got a knife? He like, well, I'm just trying to make sure we straight or whatever. So I'm backing up. I'm like, man, like, we ain't got shit. Right. You know what I mean? So they're getting in the limo. We got to walk past their limo. Now, same time we're walking past their limo, Rich and Shorty across the street. Rich and Shorty are the victims. Rich is Richard Lawler, and Shorty is Jason Baker. They see us, how we reacting, so they walk across the street like, what's going on? I'm like, man, shit. I got us down the street. I'm like, man, it's cool now. So we walking, 
Me and Rich standing right next to each other, right? Now Shorty, he's standing a little bit behind. Me and Rich still walking, right? I think Chris may be like a little bit in front of me. So we walking, and then I turn around, and dude then got loose out the car, and Shorty right there, and before anything could happen, smack! Jeff says that Reginald Oakley broke loose from the limo and rushed to Jason Baker. Baker reciprocated by cracking a champagne bottle over Oakley's head. Whether Oakley rushed at Baker, Baker rushed at Oakley, or they rushed at each other is an important detail. If the consensus was that Oakley rushed at Baker, Oakley's self-defense claim goes out the window. Jeff continues describing the fight. Oh my fuck! So now, everybody jump out the limo. It's, it's, it's going. So I run back, I'm like, fuck. All I see is Shorty. So I'm running to him. Everybody running to him that's jumping out the limo with some females and shit, they running around. I don't know what the fuck going on. So I run up like somebody come from the side, right? The one dude I never seen had the knife. He's swinging, so I gotta dodge this nigga with the knife, right? So I'm getting away from this dude, and then another dude swung on me. I tussled with him, hit him, he hit me. All this time I'm trying to avoid this knife. You feel me? So I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this shit is crazy. Like, is you, I don't know who is who, what is what. Right. I don't know these people. I don't know what the fuck going on. Now, all this happened in probably like 30 seconds, 30, 40 seconds. I, I can't even say a minute. Like, this shit is just that quick. I see um, Shorty and Dude tussling with each other, right? Got his shirt. He tussling with um, Oakley. Yeah. When I, when I run over there, I'm trying to grab Shorty, right? When I grab him, he just falls. So I'm grabbing him, right? I'm like trying to pick him up and shit. Like, come on, man, we gotta get the fuck up out of here. So when I'm grabbing him, Rich falls. Bro, I'm in the middle of the street. I got Shorty right here. I got Rich right here, bro. And I'm holding both of these niggas. I'm, I'm, I'm begging for help. I'm looking these niggas in their eyes. Like, like, I'm like, come on, baby, get up. Come on, we gotta go. This ain't what we supposed to be doing. Like, come on. Come on, man, get up. Trying to pick my niggas up, I ain't got no help until Marlon came. Ray Lewis's group sprinted back to the limo as Marlon Burroughs of the Akron group arrived. Upon seeing Lawler and Baker lifeless on the ground, Burroughs pulled out his gun and fired seven shots at the limo. Like somehow he was right there. I said, damn, that motherfucking limo right there. That nigga like, and he got his shit and let loose on the limo. Boom, 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 boom. Like, I got them both right here. Like, literally, they right here. And I'm like, somebody help me, please. I'm grabbing him, trying to like see where he hit at. I'm just like, man, get up, you know, shaking him, like grabbing. I got both of them, like, what can I do? I can't do nothing. I didn't even know where he was hit at. 
I didn't even know. I just seen blood, and I'm trying to, like I had blood all over me, all over me, all head to toe. That's the most helpless I ever felt in my life. I can't help my friend. I, like I don't know what to do. I tried to get CPR. I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing. You know, I ain't even never tell nobody this. I was pushing on Rich, trying to give him CPR, spitting blood out my mouth. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm panicking. A couple people come. I'm like, man, I need some help. Give me some help. Some dude came to try to help me or whatever. I don't know who he is to this day. He, like, you gotta do this and do that. I'm like, okay, I was trying. He was trying. I was there till the paramedics came in. The ambulance came, we, we left, and um, they said I just laid there and cried for like 20 hours. Like, didn't change my clothes, didn't move, didn't do nothing. I, I never experienced no shit like that. How that happened, it, it wasn't no street shit. And it wasn't fair. And it wasn't even that serious. Like, y'all man was out of control. We weren't aggressive. We weren't coming at y'all. And now, now this happened. Like, I don't, I don't, I still have no understanding. And it, it, it changed me. And I never got counseling for it. I think I should have. On the other side of the room, Handsome's wife and her friend are in their own world, not listening to a word of our conversation. But huddled around the refrigerator, Handsome Jeff and I are back in Buckhead, holding Richard and Jacinth in the middle of the street. Normally boisterous, Handsome is silent and distant. Richard wasn't just Handsome's big brother. He was his hero. And Jeff. Jeff was a hero to everyone in Akron. Forty people from his hometown were in Atlanta Super Bowl weekend to promote him. He was the city's voice, the one everyone thought would make it big. His eyes swollen and melancholy, I asked Jeff how those 30 seconds changed his life. It changed everything about my life. Yeah, I was 26. I think it made me an angrier person. Like it did something to me, like, like I'm the last people they know to be with him when he died. Shit just, it just ain't the same without them. You know what I mean? Like, Shorty was just so talented and dope and just, like he, he if he loved you, he gonna ride or die for you. But like Rich is like a couple years younger than me, so me and Rich like grew up together. Like used to cut my hair. We used to go to the black parties together in the studio with me. The life of the party, the flyest nigga in the party. Man, it's just so talented, man. That shit was traumatizing to me, like, it's, it's, it's the worst shit I ever experienced in my life, flat out. I be feeling like, like, damn, like, what could I have done different? I think about that all the time, and I think about, like, if he wouldn't have came out that night, if we would have went somewhere else, 
did I do something wrong? And then it always come back to them. Jeff changed after the murder of his friends. He became angry and depressed. It wasn't just the blood. It was the guilt that comes with survival. Why them and not me? I can still see my friend Deanna running out of the science building at Santa Monica High School, backpack swaying from side to side, smiling from ear to ear. She takes my arm and tells me the plan for the night. There was a party by UCLA. She knew the buses we'd have to take to get there. None of us had licenses. We were only 15. At the party, a girl started breaking pots in the backyard, smashing them just to be destructive. Deanna told the girl to stop, to respect the stranger's home. Embarrassed, the girl called her sister, who arrived as we were leaving. The sister approached Deanna. They started arguing, a punch. And then all I can remember is Deanna in my arms, her eyes rolling back, blood trickling out of her hoodie. The person who all of our friends would agree was the most full of life, now had none. I'm happy that Jeff got this off his chest after more than 20 years. It makes me think that I should do the same. I actually went online and because when you mentioned that your friend had been uh, killed and you're actually uh, interviewed in one of the early articles. So there is a trauma history here in, that you've experienced and you're a sports writer. Is that if I have that right? Yeah. So I'll give you the, the background of this project. Again, I appreciate you doing that research. Um, I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Porges, a neuroscientist whose work studying trauma has helped create several groundbreaking treatments. Jeff finally opened up about his tragic night in Atlanta. And after more than 20 years, I went back and watched the Dateline episode documenting the death of Deanna. What I've been told by several people is that the two girls started fighting and there was a ring of people around going, fight, fight, yeah. fight. Yeah, yeah, but there's also, it's true. like you don't think in terms like when a fight happens, you don't think at any point like someone's gonna be killed. I see my 15-year-old self on screen, but have no recollection of the interview. With Deanna, when this happened, like, that was, n none of us, like, had that thought in our mind, like, at all, you know? I'm hoping Dr. Porges, one of the world's most important voices in mental health, can help me begin to grasp why myself, Jeff, and so many humans handle traumatic experiences through silence and isolation. The first thing is not to really define trauma by the event. The critical thing wasn't the event, it was the reaction to the event. And once you bring it inside your body, it's something different. Your body felt grief, it felt death. The world tries to say it's outside your body. You, you weren't hurt. You might have been told, come on, get on with it. You know, so you're now shamed about acknowledging your body's own response. And that's a societal norm. Society does that. It humiliates people and blames them. And as long as it blames them, it keeps those memories locked away and not resolved. 
Jeff Gwen is exhausted. It's almost two in the morning. He's down five cognacs, and he just finished reliving the worst night of his life. I want to leave and give him peace, but the main reason I'm in Akron, the main reason I wanted to talk to Jeff, is to understand why he changed his story. First, he told investigators that he witnessed Lewis punch Lawler. Then, he revised his statement and said that he had only seen Lewis and Lawler, quote, tussling. Every time I've tried to ask him about Lewis's role in the fight, he's dodged the question. So I ask him one more time, what did Lewis do when all hell broke loose? I don't know what happened once it took off. I never seen Rich until he fell. Everything was happening. I don't know if he was over here. I don't know if he was behind me. I don't know if he was over here. I mean, I know it's a blur. I know it's 20 years later, but did you see him tussling? Did you see him? So I don't know what he was doing. It was other shit going on. I, I couldn't, I, I can't, I can't just sit up here and say that that man was swinging a knife. I can't say he had a knife. Did you, was, he, was he in the fight? In some capacity? I mean, obviously... He was more trying to... See, you know what? That was the prosecutors and them. This is what I believe how they fucked it up. They were so focused on him because he was the celebrity. You feel me? From what I've seen from him, he was trying to get dude to chill out. That's what I've seen. So I, I had to think about it. Like, he was the money. He didn't want none of that shit to happen, but... He know exactly what happened. From when it happened to everything they did after that. He know every motherfucking thing that happened. Jeff refuses to place Lewis in the fight. He reiterates that he only saw the linebacker attempt to defuse the situation. But Jeff is still bitter because he believes that Lewis knows the truth about what happened that night and that the truth has never come to light. You know what? Before that it even was over with, I just knew how that it went. It was just fucked up. Like all the shit they did, like trying to hide this, cover up shit, burn this, get rid of this, tell this story, this and that. Like you hiding something? So what do you think they're hiding? I mean, you were. They know what. They know what happened. They know exactly what happened. They had weapons. We didn't. Honestly, we all probably would have been dead out there. It's just by the grace of God that we're alive. I'm trying to picture the street and, and the limo. Do you have a piece of paper and a pen? Yeah. Can we sketch this real quick? All right, so look, that's what I can remember. I pull an envelope off the refrigerator and hand Jeff a pen. He begins to break the scene down. I think just like about where we at, they limo right here. It's a parking lot down here. I think we down here somewhere. So, they getting in the limo. We continue right here. Shorty back here somewhere. He get out. They had a altercation. We turn around. People coming out. I can't remember if they came out this side. Maybe this side too. I don't know. But the limo driver, he's seen everything. He's seen everything that happened, guaranteed. Because guess what? He never got out the car. 
So where was the altercation? Was it right here, like right out in front of the limo, right here, or was it more back? It was in front of the limo. Like right there. Okay. So Definitely you, was in front of the limo. So it was like right here. Because oh, so he's, remember, he's I'm in walking. The, limo walking. the envelope is now covered by lines, showing where each person in the fight started and ended. It's hard to discern much, but one thing is clear. The limo driver had a front row seat. So the limo driver got all that view. It's in front of the limo. Definitely. He's seen everything. He's seen everything. Next time on The Raven. It was a cold, cold winter day. I just happened to be up, and I was working morning watch homicide, and the call came in. The crime scene, it was very, very hectic. The, the driver, Dwayne Fassett, the limo driver, he was extremely nervous and you know, a little bit hesitant when we first started talking to him about who was in the limo, who was involved, those type of things. It took a, a little while to bring that through and he was taken to the homicide office and this was a long, a long process. The Raven is a production of Tenderfoot TV and Journeyman in association with Odyssey. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV. I'm the executive producer on behalf of Journeyman. Alex Bespisted is our lead producer and editor on behalf of Tenderfoot Labs. Patty Cotter is our producer. Tracy Kaplan is our supervising producer. Paul Kusheri and Sydney Evans are associate producers. Original music is by Makeup and Vanity Set. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Cooper Skinner and Dayton Cole. Cover design and illustration by Mr. Soul. Trial archival provided by Court TV. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum and Grace Royer at UTA. Beck Media and Marketing, The Nord Group, Ninning Moran and the Moran family, Russell Raffner, Alyssa Gozarka, James Yu, and Todd Baines. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. For more podcasts like The Raven, search Tenderfoot TV on your favorite podcast app or visit tenderfoot.tv. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Raven. If you want to listen to next week's episode right now, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus for early access. Tenderfoot Plus is available on Apple Podcasts or tenderfootplus.com.